Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Seta. With the Thanksgiving holiday upon us, I wanted to take a minute to reflect on some of the many things I'm grateful for this past year. I'm thankful for family, including my wife, Nicole, our parents, siblings, and the latest addition to the family, my nephew, George. I'm also grateful for the many close friends in my life. I'm grateful for my health and the good health of my loved ones through this pandemic. I'm also thankful for the incredible team at Blue Wave Orthodontics who I work with every day. I'm also incredibly grateful to you, yes, you, for listening each month. I'm wishing your Thanksgiving table is full of plentiful food and surrounded by your favorite people. And remember, don't bother counting your calories on Turkey Day, but be sure to count your blessings. Now, without further ado, we're on to today's episode. Part of our responsibility as orthodontists, one, is to help others, but then also patients that come to see us to create an experience, not only about their orthodontic experience, but is there something I can do for you as a young person that may change who you are, who you become, or how you see the world? I'm Dr. Chris Seta, and I'm shining a light on the innovators of our profession. Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. On today's show, my guest is Dr. Lisa Alvitro. Many of you know Dr. Lisa Alvitro for her long-standing association with 3M and their Class II corrector device, the Forces Appliance. But there's so much more to Lisa than being the so-called Forces Lady. Dr. Alvitro is on the forefront of orthodontic technology when it comes to digital workflow and 3D printing and is undoubtedly an innovator in our specialty. Perhaps more importantly, she understands how fortunate we are as orthodontists. As you'll hear on today's episode, Lisa established an orphanage and school in Tanzania and has made it her mission to give back. Well, welcome to the podcast, Lisa. How are you today? Good. Thanks for the opportunity. No, thank you so much for meeting me. Why don't you tell everyone where we're at? Actually, we are at the Mother of Pearl meeting. That's right. Yeah. It's going well. And man, is it nice to see people in person. I know. This is my first in-person ortho meeting since I did a, um, a Fishbine course literally like a week before the shutdown. So it's so nice to reconnect with people. Well, you know, and it seems so weird. It's like time has stood still because everyone, I swear, looks exactly like I remember them looking. And I'm sure that's probably not true, but... There were a couple of people I saw. I was like, hey, have you aged in reverse? But <laughs> but yes, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We are in uh, beautiful Minneapolis, Minnesota mm-hmm. at the Radisson Blue, which I think is a really nice hotel. This is my first time at the Mall of America. Have you been before? I have. We've... we've actually fly here sometimes to shop oh but awesome. it, it's nice to see a mall where there's a lot of stores and a lot of selection and i mean they have a great selection the only mm-hmm. problem is i've literally gotten lost just about every time i head out there because i'm usually talking with a friend or colleague and not paying attention to where i'm going and and then it's like a maze trying to get back it to is. The hotel. it's amazing how big it is and i had to keep stopping at the directory and punching in where i'm supposed to be and sometimes it was like right around the corner and i, I would have never guessed that so luckily i stopped <laughs> And we have a beverage today. Why don't you tell everyone what we're drinking? 
actually we're drinking a really nice Pinot Noir. And, yeah. you know, actually, I love all wine, but Pinot is one of my favorites. So I'm not sure how you knew that. Oh, I read your mind. <laughs> no, this is a delicious one. Uh, according to the bartender, I think it was Evangeline from Northern California. He said it had notes of earth and dark cherry. So there you go. I'm glad you like it. It was the earth that I was tasting. I'm sure that oh, was it. Oh, the yes, earth. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> So, Lisa, we were chatting here a little bit before, but um, why don't you tell everyone where you grew up? Actually, I grew up in Ohio in a real small town. So I still practice in Ohio, but still a couple hours away from where I grew up. But Mm -hmm. my practice is still in a smaller town. Um, gosh, and I've been at it about 28 years and it's been, gosh, it's been an amazing journey. Yeah. And I never knew this is where, where, you know, where life or my profession would take me. So, well, what was life like growing up in Ohio? It was nice. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, my, my father was an auto worker. My mom stayed at home. So, you know, I had a really average life. But, you know, I think who influenced me the most, I had a, a good friend. Her father was a dentist. Oh. And he always seemed to be around. He never seemed to be working too hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, compared to my father was working in a factory, you know, working all the time. Right. And so he really got me interested in dentistry. You know, it started when I was in seventh grade. And you had to interview a professional about a career. And he was the only person I knew that had a profession. So I sat with him and interviewed him. And I thought, you know what? This is what I want to do. You know, as soon as I said, I think I want to be a dentist, my parents were like, oh, that sounds really good. So, you know, they really supported me and, and, and you helped me. Undergrad, I lived at home just to save. I mean, because I didn't really have a lot of resources. Fortunately, I got some scholarships, but... You know, then you get to dental school and you Mm -hmm. really work hard to get there. And you're like, whoa, I'm not sure this is what I want to do. Yeah. You know, and then you meet some orthodontists and you're like, okay, you guys seem to be having a good time (laughs) all the time. And people like you. That was the biggest thing. You know, you're not treating people in pain. People want to be there. Heck, if you don't want to be the orthodontist, don't be there. Right. So they really kind of persuaded me like, you should really look into this. I didn't even really know what an orthodontist did. I wasn't treated until... Gosh, even into dental school, I thought, let mm. me see what this is about. Yeah. And so I was treated at Ohio State in, in their their ortho clinic. So it kind of gave me insight. And, you know, some of the residents there encouraged me to like, you should do this. So interesting. You know, I ended up specializing, too, because I practiced general for three years. Oh, and really? There were things I loved about general. I loved doing some more aesthetic treatments. Um, mm-hmm. I even enjoyed, you know, maybe uh, extracting teeth and doing some dentures and things like that. But at the same time, like it's a different mindset, I think, of the mm-hmm. patient, right? Like patients are not happy to hear they have three cavities versus mm-hmm. with orthodontics, you know, it's mostly elective. So yeah, I think that's true. You know, I'm always I, I think dentistry is hard, too. I mean, I think mm-hmm. physically it's more demanding. You know, I've it talked is. to some of my friends and every time I'm bonding a second molar, that you can barely see. I'm thinking, thank God I'm not trying to do a crown prep. Lord only knows what the <laughs> distal would look like. <laughs> Cause, For real. Because I can barely see the buckle right now. So. I don't know how I used to do that, like crown preps on second molars. Yeah. I would just would have had to take them out. <laughs> <laughs> there you it's go. Like, Sorry, we can't save these. They got to go. You know. Yeah. So we were chatting before and I found it interesting that we're both half of Italian uh, mm-hmm. background and also we both are part uh, Slovak yes, as well. Yep. The first time I went over to Italy to lecture, what I didn't realize is Elvitro's technically not an Italian name. Oh, really? Be- because there's no long E. And then we started doing some of the genealogy and our last name was a lot different. You know, when they came oh, over and Ellis, yeah. no one wanted to seem that foreign. You know, even like um, my father's name's Floyd, which is not an Italian name, but he was named after his father who was named Floyd. Floyd's not his name either. His real name was like Fiervante. 
Oh, but wow. when something sounded too foreign, they changed they it. Changed yeah, it. my name. So you know, my name in Italian would be Cheta, but uh-huh. it sort of just got Americanized at yep. Ellis Island as well. So. Yeah, very interesting. And if, if you look up Seta, isn't technically an Italian last name. It's actually probably Albanian. So mm-hmm. a lot of Albanians came to Italy before they ended up coming to the States. So interesting. But anyway, tell us where you went to your undergrad. Undergrad, I went to Youngstown State. And mm-hmm. actually, that's where I met my husband. Oh, wow. Someone was asking me this weekend where I met my husband. And I like to have like criteria and be organized. So I was a lab TA teaching a biology class and Mm -hmm. he was like a senior that needed one more class. And he asked me out Mm -hmm. the guy in the later lab asked me out. I had a criteria. Whoever got did a better score on the midterm. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm grading their tests. I'm like, Okay, I guess it's him. We'll go out with him, and and that was it. So, and that was it. Okay. Yeah, Very good, good thing he studied for the exam, and the other guy didn't. So, and he encouraged you to go into dental school, and he did. And then I went to Case Western, the Ohio State for dental yes, school. Yes, right? exactly, the Ohio State. So Buckeye, okay, and then to yeah. Case Western. Yeah. And we mentioned we have a case connection. Yes. Uh, my. As I mentioned in the episode with Dr. Sebastian Baumgartel, my father was an ophthalmology resident at Case when I was born out there. So I guess a lot of people have Cleveland connections from what he was saying. The facility is so nice now. I mean, now Mm -hmm. they're on the campus of the Cleveland Clinic and the dental clinic and the orthodontic clinic. It's really, really nice. And I believe you're still part-time faculty there? I do. Yeah. You know, for years I taught just practice management. And Mm -hmm. honestly, that's really hard to teach someone how to manage a practice who doesn't even have one. Mm. You know, and there's never cer- thought of it that yeah, way. Yeah, you know, there's certain things you can tell them and things you can give them. And actually, I think Sebastian was one of them when he said, "You know, some of it didn't click until I've been out about five years." And I'm thinking, "Oh, what would Lisa say?" And, and I looked it up. So, gosh, probably about two, three years ago, we started working with digital workflow with them, and we were able to set up their digital clinic and their 3D printers and. I just love teaching that. That's really one of my primary roles with them right now is with the 3D printing and helping them establish digital workflow. Because, you know, I think where a lot of universities struggle is a lot of the staff members are older and don't have the experience. Even the part-time people that are coming in, a lot of them are toward the end of their career. Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes the person who knows the most in the room may be the resident. Interesting. So making sure that, you know, they're getting up to speed. So when they get out, they got the tools they need to enter into, you know, digital orthodontics. Yeah, I'd love to dive a little more into the digital workflow. Uh-huh. But before we get there, I have to mention you gave a fantastic lecture today. And this was actually the first time I've, I've heard you speak, even though I've definitely known your name since residency. You had the best lecture title, and I have to say it here, may the forces be with you 20 years in a class two universe. You know, it was so fun to, <laughs> it was great. to talk about forces because I used to do a lot of forces teaching in the U.S. Mm. and abroad, and then that kind of died off and I'd been doing a lot more with digital workflow. So it was really fun to share because, you know, I think people don't realize what you can do with it and mm-hmm. how the components can be changed and how effective it is. And particularly now, since we've been using it for a long time, now seeing people who come back that are, are adults mm-hmm. and what do they look like compared to... And I thought it was great ago. you showed that. I have to compliment you. Your finishes are fantastic. I mean, Thank just you. occlusion, so socked in, beautiful smile arc, buckle corridors look fantastic. You had the follow-up records too, which was phenomenal to see. So, you know, it was just very impressive lecture. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, I I think it's fun to see, do things last? Do they hold? Because sometimes you just get a snapshot and Mm -hmm. you're not sure. And I learned so much by bringing people back. And I was thinking about at the lecture, 
everyone was just called back. There was no cherry picking. Mm-hmm. You know, one kid walked in. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, who called him? And we laughed because we looked at his final records. And I, I said to him, I said, wow, it looks like Stevie Wonder did your bicuspids. I mean, roots were not parallel. Laterals were going crazy. Yeah. And you retake that film eight years later and they were upright. Hmm. See, the force of occlusion does a lot for us. And I think as orthodontists, a lot of times we don't get to see our work after it's settled. That's true. And after it's been in occlusion and been in function. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage people, don't get too worked up when you see a root that you don't like. Chances are, if you could see that person five, ten years later, it's going to upright itself due to the opposing occlusal force. Very interesting. Uh You know, I've been in practice almost 10 years now, but I just don't have those follow-up records yet Mm -hmm. to see that. You know, that's at least good to hear. Well, you know, and it may be harder in some areas. Practicing in a smaller town, Mm -hmm. and you can really usually track people down. Yes, that's true. Social media helps, too. We start Facebook stalking people. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Like, you know, hey, do you remember us? (laughs) Yeah. That's wonderful. But I I got so much out of your lecture today. And just a little background for myself. I used a lot of forces in residency. (laughs) More recently, I was doing a lot of carrier motion (laughs) cases. And I had some carrier cases that turned out beautifully. And I've also had some that have gone nowhere Mm because I've had a a non-compliant patient. (laughs) And so I probably have gone back a little bit more to the Herbst appliance. But the problem with that is, you know, if you have breakage, it becomes just (laughs) a huge emergency issue. Um, so, you know, I'm thinking about circling back to forces here and, you know, what I personally took out of your talk today was just how to control the occlusal plane and really being able to affect that vertical dimension Mm -hmm. with the forces as well. You know, in some of our long-term things, we look at it and we had some computer generated predictions just on a computer generated growth, what this person should look like. You know, a lot of times the pieces were the same size. It was the position that was different and the posterior vertical was so, you know, it was so strong Mm -hmm. when you can influence that. And, you know, I used to use a Herbst appliance before I used forces. Yeah. And so much of what I learned, I credit to Terry Dishinger because I did a lot of work with him once he's in office, used to see him a lot right when I was out of residency. Cause Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, when I was in school 30 years ago, we were still using bionators. Mm. Could you imagine? I don't think I could pay a kid to wear a bionator. I know. Yeah. Bionators combine them with headgears. You know, things like that work, but what about the compliance? So, sure. And then we kind of moved to twin blocks. And one of the stupidest things I ever did, someone told me if a kid won't wear a twin block, glue it in. No way. I did. Guess what? You can't get it out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I can still remember cutting that thing out of that kid's mouth. I mean, it took forever. I heard a story um, that Dr. Haas, who I think practiced near you, that mm-hmm, if yeah. the, a kid would not wear their headgear, that he would like steel tie it in. Yes, that's, <laughs> people used to do that. Wow. I know. Imagine doing that today. <laughs> well, you know, my staff and I were doing a little ski trip together and there was a kid going skiing and he had a headgear in, just the bow. And so some of my staff members chased after him. They're like, buddy. That's a bad idea. Yeah. They, he's like, I know. I can't get it out. My orthodontist wired it in. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, Whoa. I hate to be that orthodontist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not so, the best advertising. Yeah. So, you know, learning to use a Herbst appliance, there were so many things I learned, uh, you know, from, from Dr. Dishinger that really helped me then tra- I transferred. You know, part of it, you're right. When a Herbst, and someone would call and say their Herbst is broken. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, it's not. How about if, we, if we ignore it, does that go away? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and particularly if you got a lot of intrusion, cutting those crowns off, you yeah. know, and my staff approached me. They're like, you know what? You got to figure out something better. Or, and I don't say yeah. better clinically, but a better patient experience. Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is some of the kids now, 
or actually even years ago that I did herpsed on, like the younger kids in the family get forces and some of the parents just laugh. They're like, that's it. What about that like thing that looked more like a bear trap? What happened to that? I'm like, what's that? So sometimes it's really interesting to see the oldest kid maybe had a herpst and now the younger ones all had forces and just to kind of compare and get, you know, their experience. Yeah. Just thinking out loud, it's got to be a better experience to have forces. Uh, I did not have either. I actually had a cervical headgear, but uh, <laughs> which was no walk in the park. But I would think forces would be a much better experience from a patient standpoint. You know, I like to think so. And I think there's just so much variability too. Mm-hmm. you know, what you can do with it. And I think that's what I like to share because people don't realize. I mean, basically, it's a big spring that'll create a constant force. Mm-hmm. How you direct it is totally up to you. Yeah. You know, one of the things I found particularly interesting is I would use that, um, I guess they call it the easy module mm-hmm. a lot with forces. And I think the, are they on the easy two still? Yep. Mm-hmm. But you use the L pen. When all of this was created, it was way before I knew anybody at 3M. I was just a user. Mm-hmm. And people would struggle getting an L pen in. So they came up with this easy module. The only thing that's wrong with an L pin, it's too long. Cut about two millimeters off, day and night difference. Oh, that's a great pearl. And the thing with the easy modules is they had to make it rigid enough because the first version, it would break. So mm-hmm. then they put kind of that little plate on the inside. And particularly if you're dealing with someone who the transverse dimension is off a little bit, mm-hmm. or there's still maybe rotation of the molar, If you put a pin in there, the pin can adjust itself because it's so soft or you can adjust it. So I always say easy modules may be easier to slip in the front, but they're harder to use. You have to have the transverse right. Mm. You have to have the right activation and you have to have someone who functions, you know, more, I would say a straight up and down. It doesn't do a lot of excursive type movements. So they just made things harder. Mm -hmm. And the thing with an L pin, you can really place that pin in any headgear tube. There you go. You know, where the easy module where people would struggle if they didn't have a 3M headgear tube, it maybe would be a little too long or a little too short. Mm. And so it wouldn't really snap in like it should. And they started having some problems with it. Interesting. Something else I found interesting was that I always thought that you had to use stainless steel Uh wires top and bottom. And I guess you don't have to follow those rules, right, Lisa? No. And actually, if somebody would look at the user guide that was created, Mm -hmm. the cases that we did in that user guide all were beta titanium. Interesting. But people just assumed. And I think part of it, just when it was first introduced, people were coming out of like a Herbst appliance and assumed steel over steel. Right. And you know, when you can even go into a beta in the bottom, one, it will help you level that occlusal plane. It'll help you drive down those lower incisors. It's easier. You can get in there quicker. You know, in the top two, so many of our class two patients have their molars rotated toward the mesial. Mm-hmm. This way you can get your forces in, you can get an eye tie in and just correct that rotation without really much effort. So awesome. the top, you've got so many options. Yeah. And what are some other scenarios you might use like a night tie wire with forces? Actually, probably 99% of oh, really? our upper are, are night tie wires, except if I've got a long span that is unsupported. Okay. And even sometimes in, I'll intentionally maybe leave a five off if I really want the six to intrude. Hmm. So I would say probably 99% 1925 SE night tie. You know, of course, and it kind of depends. I tell people you have to look at the night tie you're using. You know, all of them aren't the same hmm. based on manufacturer. Yeah. You know, some are a little bit stiffer. Some are, if it feels way too soft, you know, it is. What, what's your preference? You know, your wires? Wires as far as, and I hate to sound like a 3M infomercial, but I always buy 3M wires. 
Well, well, that's okay. (laughs) Except with some of our aesthetic brackets, we use some different wires Mm -hmm. that we think blend better. You know, with my Forces cases, it's a 1925 SE Nitai. Gotcha. And then the bottoms, most of the time, it's a 1925 Beta Titanium. Cool. You know, I encourage people, too, when you're going to be using Forces, you can take a progress pan that you're used to, Mm -hmm. but wait to do any of that repositioning until... You're done with the forces. Then you pop your forces off. You can reposition anything that you need to. Because, you know, one of the tricks, if you have a patient that you know is going to push, push, push to be done, done, done. Mm, I've got a few of those. Here's a trick. When you bond them, purposely make one central incisor longer than the other. (laughs) (laughs) Because when do people think they're done? When their smile looks good. You won't have anyone argue with you. You're not done yet. You're one tooth longer than the other. They can all see that. Well, then what you tell them, well, once your bite's fixed, then I can equal out the length on those. Right now, because your bite's off, I can't. Lisa, I hope none of your patients are listening because the cat's out of the bag here. But I, but it's hilarious. But, you know, and <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Yeah. I, I get that a lot where, you know, I, I obviously going to need to reposition brackets yeah. because the, the heights of the centrals are off. And, and that's the first thing they pick up on. Yeah. Hey, this one tooth is a little longer than the other, right? And they don't, they know they're not done. Yeah. You know, it's the one where they look great and they still have a rip roar oh, over yep. jet or, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they're like, well, I don't see why that matters. Here's the trick too, is make sure you always use the same bracket. So you remember to, yeah. when you're take your forces off and repo. And I laugh because then you, you switch the bracket. They come in next time. They're like, Oh, you're right. When my bite was fixed, that tooth leveled up. <laughs> <laughs> Magic. Yeah. I actually had a new staff member a couple years ago. We were just kind of doing kind of a, a review with her and what did she think about the practice and this and that. And she had had some experience before. She goes, I just have one question for you. She goes, you know, sometimes those front, the central brackets are off and you have to reposition that. No criticism, but I thought that'd be an easy bracket. I said, I purposely do that. She goes, oh, okay, now I get it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Oh, I love it. When we come back, in just a moment, we discuss 3D printing, in-house aligners, and how to create a digital integration team inside your practice. And you don't want to miss hearing about Lisa's impressive collection of 3D printers. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. What if you came in Monday morning, looked at the schedule, and every appointment was as simple as an aligner visit? With Stride Custom Braces by KL Owen, you can leverage your investment in digital workflow to grow your practice, address staffing challenges, and find more hours in your day. Why Stride? Stride Custom Digital gives precise control in all three orders using a kit of 27 patented braces, empowering orthodontists with nearly infinite bracket combinations, advanced AI software, and true straight wire mechanics. To request a Stride Custom demo, go to kloembraces.com. Mention the Illuminate podcast and receive five free cases with your Stride starter pack with complete team training. Terms and conditions may apply. Welcome back to my conversation with Dr. Lisa Alvitro. So Lisa, we've talked about forces and I think there's so much more to you than forces. And I know, you know, you've been dubbed the forces lady at times, but you've really been into the digital workflow, which we teased a little bit. So tell us about digital workflow in your office. I believe you have 
different types of 3D mm-hmm. printers, right? I'm addicted to 3D printers. <laughs> you, re- you bought them all. I keep buying them too. I actually have even given one. How, how many away. do you have? Uh, right now, we currently have about 10. 10? But I just print- gave away one this weekend. Um, we've got some more coming. And and I appreciate being more than the forces lady because <laughs> I swear for a while people thought, oh my gosh, that's all this woman knows how to do. Gosh, we got into 3D printing probably about maybe seven years ago now. Oh, wow. So you were an early adopter. Yeah. And um, originally we did some testing when the TrueDef scanner was coming out. So that mm-hmm. got us into scanning quite quite early. And then we wanted to start doing some in-house aligners. And, you know, mm-hmm. for us, what prompted me is because in my area, almost all of the general dentists were using aligners and Visalign hmm. and they had the big billboards and, you know, yeah. the smiley face and the, you know, the frowny face with braces. And, you know, they were doing it at such a price point because they want to do the veneers, the restorative, the perio. And I'm like, you know, I need to get into aligner therapy, but I don't want to compete on price. I don't mm-hmm. want to try to convince people that somehow my Invisalign is better than their Invisalign. Mm-hmm. So we thought we got to figure this out. So that really led us to 3D printing. We were using a software out of um, France at the time. I'd run into these guys when I was lecturing in Europe, and um, it was kind of even pre-3Shape. i got to tell you how I bought my first printer. So I was at a meeting in Florida, and I think it was like the SAO meeting. Mm -hmm. And I was there by myself, which is dangerous because then when you have no one to talk to, which I like to talk, (laughs) I just go from vendor to vendor, and I start talking. And we had looked at a Stratus through Great Lakes, Mm -hmm. and the the nozzle, the maintenance, it was just – I mean, that's how long ago we were shopping, probably 10 years ago. And I sat down, talked to the Envision Tech guys, and I thought, that looks pretty good. So I bought one. Mm -hmm. I come home. My staff's like, what are you going to do with it? I said, I don't know. And um, <laughs> there happened to be in Dayton, which is about maybe an hour from us, I looked up like 3D printing classes and there was a bar, the proto print bar. If you imagine the people that were hanging out there kind of looked like they came straight from the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> and we were by far the coolest people yeah. there. <laughs> and we signed up for a class. Oh, yeah. Wow. So we learned to 3D print in a bar in Dayton. And got started that way. And then once we got one printer, we kept buying other printers. Because I think I started following online a lot of people that 3D print but aren't in our industry. Interesting. You know, and I try to encourage people, if you really sometimes want to learn something, look at a, something that's maybe in a parallel industry or someone who's using the same technology but a mm-hmm. different way. Yeah. And starting to see all these printers that people were using to produce different parts. So. Yeah, we've got a lot of different printers. I love that. In my last episode with Grant Collins, we talked about going outside of the industry to learn new things and sort of bring them back into orthodontics. Because I think too often we just get very siloed, right? Especially Mm -hmm. if we're only attending orthodontic conferences. I think that's wonderful that you guys sort of went outside and found that course. It was interesting looking what people were doing. And then my kids wanted to start to 3D Mm -hmm. print. And, and my staff's like, do not let them touch the expensive one. Don't let them. <laughs> so I ended up, I think I had a form lab in my basement. And I'm like, wait a second. People use this for dental stuff. So then it ended up at my office. And then we just kept buying different types of printers. And, you know, if you came into our print lab right now, as far as an operation, we have probably about nine printers. And they're everywhere from, you know, Envision Tech to Sprint Ray Pro, mm-hmm. Moon Rays, Form Labs, and some of the... The lower price, like EPACs and any cubic. So we've got everything from every price point from, the whole gamut. from yeah. 600 to, you know, 
thousands. Yeah. So I've done a little bit of 3D printing, but I don't currently have one. So why don't you tell us like maybe some of the advantages of the different printers or what you like about you the know, different models? And, and it kind of depends. I always tell people, look at the consumables because, okay. you know, what's the price of resin? Mm, that makes you sense. know, we do, we do quite a few in-house aligners and, and like, what are you going to print? When we print occlusal guards, you're, you definitely want something that's a biocompatible material that's been mm-hmm. validated on certain printers. So you may be gravitating towards like a form lab or like a sprint ray or moon ray. If we like to print small parts, like if we've done some where we print brackets and mm-hmm. um, if we print small pieces like restorative. Sometimes what we'll do, I'm thinking of a young man was when a liner set up, had really small peg laterals. He didn't really like those. I needed to know sizing anyhow. Did a quick scan, had uh, a shell designed for us, and we printed that. You can so, do that? Yeah, you can. That's so cool. It is super cool. You know, and you can do it out of a couple materials, and the ones I'm most familiar with are from Form Labs. Okay. And there's one that's like their denture resin, mm. and that's what um, you can use, like if you're using braces on demand, you use that resin. Mm-hmm. Form Labs has a restorative resin that they call semi-permanent, so they're saying five to ten years on restorations. And it does have like a porcelain component to it. And it looks very nice. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, you don't have to really learn design software. You can uh-huh. outsource that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can outsource it to labs. You know, with digital, you can send that file anywhere in the world. That's true. And the next thing you know, it's there. So what labs do you work with if you want to outsource? Well, depends what we're doing. You know, if we're going to be doing like an occlusal guard, a lot of times we've been using the Sprint Ray. Their mm-hmm. dashboard, you send it in within 24 hours, you've got a nice design, and then you can print that. And the nice thing, too, is when they send that to you, it's just a basic STL file, so you can print it on there because I kind of like the smaller VAT. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times if I want someone to design just like a, maybe a lateral incisor, mm-hmm. I can go ahead and use an, an international lab and then mm-hmm. get that to me. You know, there's other ways that you can do it. There is a really nice, if, say if you just need a Ponic. Mm-hmm. Christian, and I think I say his name, Brennis, is a prosthodontist that probably eight, ten years ago put out online. It's a library of 3D teeth. Oh, and it's open source. And you can just download it. And it's so nice to be able to take that part. You can go in something very easy, even like 3D Builder, merge it, and then you have your own Ponic. So that type of thing we can design in-house. We fooled around a little bit with Blender for dental. Okay, It's a little more technical. I mean, if I was going to be using it all the time, it would be worth it. But some of the design services, I think like for Sprint Ray, if they do your occlusal guard, which is basically a splint, you're looking maybe $25 a design. Hmm. Some of the other simple parts, you're looking maybe $5, $10 a design. I'm thinking in my spare time, maybe I'll learn how to do it myself, but not right now. (laughs) Other types of printers, if you're looking at just kind of bulk models or Mm -hmm. like aligner models, we produce a lot of our aligner models on an EPAX printer. Okay. You know, price point, it's a lot less. The resin is a lot less. That's the thing you have to think about. How much resin are you going to go through? You know, if you're going through three, four bottles of liters of resin a day, that can start to add up if you're paying $150, versus if maybe you can get a resin that's as accurate for $40, $50. Interesting. So, so I'm going to ask you a, a tough question at this sure. point, Lisa, uh-huh. but what's your desert island printer? So if I just wanted to buy like one one printer, printer, which one would you pick? Mm, good question. And first of all, I'm going to tell you you're going to buy two. 
Okay. Because right. one one's going to break. I mean, one will need maintenance or something. A backup. I always, I always tell people it's like if you had one inkjet printer in your admin office and it goes mm-hmm. down, what do you do? <laughs> you <know>? Good point. <laughs> Pull out some carbon paper and go for it. You know? <laughs> so you need to have a backup. And I can tell people, even if you buy, say, maybe one of the more expensive printers, at least get yourself a backup that maybe is a cheaper printer. The way to decide tends to be how much hands-on you want to be. Mm-hmm. Some of your more you know technical printers, maybe like your Sprint Ray or your Form Labs, are really dialed in that if you say, okay, this is the material I'm going to use, it will control the light source for you. It'll control, you know, if you think about when you're printing, there's the light source that has to expose the resin. Then the platform has to lift up. The resin has to run over. So there has to be an off time. Mm -hmm. And then the platform has to, that's dialed in for you. When you look at some of the other printers that are less, you have to tell it that. But the thing is, once you tell it once, you don't have to keep telling it. So the kind of the fun thing is, if something breaks with some of our lower end printers, we can fix it ourselves. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you just go in and you're playing, okay, instead of three seconds exposure, let's go four. Mm -hmm. You know, and like, oh, hey, that fixed it. Or maybe your screen goes bad. Sometimes the residents trash screens because they let resin get on them and harden it. It's an easy fix. You know, you order the part, take it apart, stick it back in and you're good to go. So if I was allowed to buy, say, just two printers, I think right now, and if I was just going to mainly do, say, models for in-house aligners, Mm -hmm. I probably would go with an EPAX printer, you know, and so the price point, you're probably looking 14 to 1500. Okay. Um, And we've been using some for a couple of years and they're really reliable, but you know, like Sprint Ray has a good product, Form Labs, but they're a little bit more, you know, when I say closed, you can't pull your Sprint Ray apart by yourself. You know, and again, too, it depends what kind of material you're going to use. One Mm -hmm. thing I tell people to clear, the heavier pigmented a resin is, the easier it is to cure. Because that photo initiator is usually part of the color. So clearer materials, you may have to fool around a little bit. You can Mm -hmm. still process them on another printer, but you may have to fool around with the exposure time a little bit more than, say, if you just drop it in your sprint ray or your moon race. So that's why we're so addicted to printing because there's so many variables. They're so fun. You can just print so many things and it just, I love it. it it's super fun. You got to do it. You just got to get do into it. it. Now, do it. now should I buy two EPAX printers or do you recommend like mixing and matching? It depends what, what, you know, and that's why I always tell people, people will call me and say, what should I buy? Lisa? I said, come mm-hmm. to my lab and play yeah, and then see what you want. You know, there's some even that are cheaper than EPACs that have a lot of the residents just churning things out because, you know, if they break a $600 printer, it's a real cheap fix. Mm -hmm. So, you know, or like I said, you've got all the other ones too. It's such a hard question. It's so much based on preference and what, you know, what you want to do with it. Right. No, that makes sense. So you can come play if you want. Oh, sounds great. <laughs> now, I have to ask you, because you mentioned in-house aligners, uh-huh. but um, what are some of the different plastics you're using? You know, we did an experiment where we scanned all of us, made some different types of aligners, different types of materials. We had a couple patients participate in it and see, what do you think? What do you feel? In the past probably year, we've been using tagless. Okay. People tend to like the clarity of it, the feel of it. The thing is, when people ask me about materials or like when you're doing an in-house setup, like how much movement can you get per each aligner? And I said, well, it depends what kind of plastic you're using. I think mm. sometimes orthodontists forget that the plastic has different properties. I think we all remember that like NITI versus, you know, heat activated, super elastic, beta that all have different properties, but the plastics have different properties too. 
Hmm. And so I think once you get dialed into how much movement you want portray, then you match your plastic. You know, for us, we've really dialed into the tagless and then some of the real minor movements, you know, obviously you've used the liners. You know, there can be that little bit of a stretch where it doesn't quite rebound. There's not quite as much mm. elasticity. And, you know, you ever get to the end and it almost, it's just like, I always say it's jiggly. I mean, right, yeah, right, it's right. straight, but it's just not crisp. A lot of times we'll just even change materials. So mm. maybe go to like a tagless tough or it was indoors seems to be a little bit tougher. Or in the beginning, if they're really crowded, We'll pull out some like GT Flex something. So you have to kind of look at the different properties of plastic and then find what works and then put it into your protocol. Yeah, I think that's so interesting because I'm an Invisalign user and, uh-huh. and you really only have one option with uh-huh. Invisalign. And I know 3M recently came out with the uh, yep. Force mm-hmm. and the Flex, right? Yeah, and that's really helpful. You know, when we're doing some of the more complex cases and use that, particularly if you think about it, when someone is really crowded, to be able to get a liner in and out, you either have to, you know, maybe cut a little shorter on the clinical crown or you have to use a lot of block out. The thing is, aligners work because of the surface area mm. in contact with the plastic. Yeah. So if you block out a lot, you're losing out on that. Mm. So I to never av- thought of it that yeah. way. So to yeah. avoid a lot of block out and to get a lot of contact with your tooth, you can use a more flexible material. So a lot of like crowded, particularly lower incisor mm-hmm. crowding, if you use like the 3M Flex material, you'd be surprised. You can get that on without very, very minimal of any block out. Mm-hmm. So you get some really nice movement. And then when you get to a point, I always say when I can see your teeth, and then usually that's when you're going to flip to like the more rigid, like their um, force material. Yeah, very cool. So Lisa, I know at one point um, you were doing an in-office course. Do you uh-huh. go through some of these different digital workflows? There? We do, you know, and it's been a while with COVID. We had, yeah. The last one we did was super fun because it was all digital and digital indirect bonding and getting people to be able to make their own tray and how all that process works. And we hope we get an opportunity to do it again. We have people now kind of coming privately that come to see, okay, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. So. But courses are a lot of fun, and Ohio's pretty cheap to build in. So mm-hmm. we've got a big basement that we have turned into like our conference center and our 3D print lab. And it just, it's nice just to give people an opportunity. You know, a lot of times we'll have everything printed all laid out. Each thing is printed on every printer. And I'm like, okay, which one of those do you like? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what do you think you want to do with it? So we're real passionate about teaching people. And the funny thing, too, is I'm not a tech person. AAO asked me to be on the C-Tech committee. Yeah. My kids laughed. They're like, oh my God, you're not a tech person at all. <laughs> I said, yeah, but I know how to print. Shoot, if Netflix isn't on the TV, when I turn it on, I'm not watching Netflix. I don't know how to you get You can't that. figure it out. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you sound so technical. You had me fooled. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about that. So I believe it's the C-Tech committee. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yeah, I was asked, gosh, a little bit ago to be part of that committee. And it's been a committee. It's been around quite a while. Particularly like when cone beams started to enter into the ortho world, that committee was formed. And then now where they were looking at how do you get people into a digital workflow? How do you mm-hmm. make them comfortable with it? And giving resources, particularly when people are trying to make choices, like we talk about, what do I need? You know, when we first started, we still laugh about this because we were sitting in our little lab at that time. We had, you know, our Envisitech printer. We had a TrueDef scanner. We had three shape software. And at that point, no one really knew how to get them all to work. And we just started laughing. We're like, we spent a lot of money and nothing will work. Someone <laughs> go with the Elginet. 
now there's more integration, but there's still so many choices. And I think that's overwhelming for people. Mm -hmm. So that's part of what the committee's trying to do is to get it accessible for members, get them resources, maybe get them some financial advantages to partner with people that have partnered with the AAO. And then trying to think, we just had our last meeting, you know, what's next? The danger that people get into is that if you don't stay current, you're going to get so far behind. That's so important in today's day and age, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people that are resistant to that digital workflow and just want to keep with the alginate and stone, you know, which it it works Mm -hmm. great. But at the same time, I feel like digital opens up a whole new world in terms of capabilities. Oh, and there's so much more that you can do for your patients. And, you know, I encourage my, my colleagues my age or even older, the problem you're getting burnt out is because you're doing it the exact same way every day. Mm. If it's something new, that is exciting because it gives you the feeling of success. I conquered something new. That's true. So if mm. you're burnt out, the problem is you haven't tried anything new. You haven't mm. challenged yourself. You're yeah. too much on autopilot. And sometimes we get into autopilot because we're just working so hard in so many days. And you yeah. know, you actually sometimes need to take a step back to get creative and start mm-hmm. exploring some of these different things. You know, and get your team involved. When we started down this path, we created a digital integration team. Hmm. So there was three or four people that were really involved in it. And none of us were real techies. You know, it's like we had yeah. one person who was really good at video games. That was about as far as, <laughs> as far as it got. Other people had a computer and another one had a phone. But if you get people involved so that if you start to get discouraged, somebody else isn't. Mm, it's almost like an accountability partner, right? Uh-huh. Yep. That's great. So you had three staff members Mm -hmm. on your team? Yeah. And the digital team now is growing. So we just brought a new person on. And that's been something that's really interesting because I think we all struggle trying to find staff members. Mm -hmm. But if you're going digital, we look for a completely different type of person. Oh, you know, and you may even want to look to in some of your laws within your state. Okay. You know, sometimes if you have to have a chair site assistant, they have to have certain credentials or certain licensing. True. What if it's a digital technologist? Hmm. There's probably no guidelines because that person is so new. Yeah. Who can we look for? What can they do? And that's the first time we specifically went out looking for a digital tech. Interesting. So what did you put in your job description or where did you post it? You know, our job description really laid out what they're going to be doing as far as you know, scanning, 3D printing, 3D design. We also wanted them to be involved in some 3D fabrication of appliances. And then some of those appliances and things that they make, they're going to be the ones that will be doing the patient delivery too. Because I think that way, if you really want someone to understand what they made, why it worked or didn't work, if they've never put it in a patient, I think that's tough. Makes so, sense. Yeah, yeah, my best digital people are like, oh, I know why that didn't fit. This is what I did, or this is what we didn't block out, or this is the setting that I used. So, mm. you know, it kind of opens us up to a new pool of people, you know, and even for doctors themselves, people that want to extend their practice lifetime, mm-hmm. digital is the way to go. And it never dawned on me till I was talking to a lady that was practicing with her father. And she's like, my father's in his 70s. His mind is so sharp as an orthodontist. She goes, we're making him in charge of digital bonding. <laughs> it's like, if we have to blow it up as big as a TV, he's yeah. going to do all the setups. He's going to do all the aligner setups. So I thought, wow, that's that." That's really amazing. I had never thought about that before. After a quick word from our sponsor, we'll discuss Lisa's philanthropy efforts in Africa and why it's important to remember to give back. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast.
scriptogram created by orthodontist Dr. Chris Cossey has two great solutions for your practice. First, Braces Academy software streamlines patient education and case presentation through the power of prescriptive education. You can text or email videos, images, and instructions directly to patients or parents. You can also track when the videos have been viewed. The second solution, Ortho Screening, is a convenient at-home screening kit for potential patients. Ortho Screening is the most complete all-in-one solution for virtual consultations that lead to more new patient starts. It's as easy as smile, snap, send. To get started, head over to BracesAcademy.com. Mention the Illuminate podcast and get your first month free. And we're back to my conversation with Dr. Lisa Alvitro. So, Lisa, I have to mention, uh-huh. I need to go back to your lecture today. Uh-huh. And normally it's just Cole Johnson that gets me to tear up during a lecture. Uh-huh. But you turned on the waterworks today. And, <laughs> you know, towards the end, you mentioned your philanthropic efforts, uh-huh. which you've really been doing for a while now. So uh-huh. how did you get into giving back? Boy, you know, I think it's something I was always taught as a child, you know, to give back. And then part of it, too, um, We'd been supporting a missionary overseas, and we went over there and saw what they were doing. And I think part of it was the personal connection, meeting the people in this village. It's in Dreamy, Tanzania, which is between the Lake Victoria and Serengeti. Okay. And the nice thing about it, it's one of the most rural areas of Tanzania. So it's really far away from the big cities, the politics, where mm. there's actually resources to fight over. Mm. We always kind of say no one's going to fight over the dirt. If you're in the area where there's maybe mining or it's a little bit trickier to do some of this. So, yeah. you know, I met these people and about the same time as when 3M had asked me to teach on forces because they found me. And, and I always think that's interesting when someone's an advocate or a KOL I was a user for years hmm. before I ever told anybody or ever showed anyone right. what we did. You know, sometimes people approach me and say, well, why don't you try this so you can talk about it? I said, what if I don't like it? Yeah. <laughs> I feel the same way. <laughs> yeah. You're like, yeah, what, what yeah. the heck? You know, um, we just were using so many forces springs. They kind of reached out like, what are you people doing with these things? So it was a great way to fund the project. And mm-hmm. that's when we started and. First, I had met a collection of kids that needed a home. They were homeless. They were, you know, part of kind of a loosely knit group of people that were trying to take care of them. So, and it's still a part of the world where a little bit of American money goes a long way. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you hear about projects where, you know, oh, it took us a billion dollars or a million dollars to build this. It's not like that there. Hmm. You know, several hundred dollars can significantly change not only somebody's life. But it can, even for a couple thousand, be a generational change. Oh, wow. And we employ some of the locals and use some of the things I even use at my office, like bonuses. Hmm. You know, they get, you know, my staff gets an attendance bonus or a production bonus. Our locals that work for us, they get a housing allowance bonus. And for $100 a month, they're building homes. Hmm. And I laughed because they sent me some pictures. I thought, oh, my gosh, they're better off than I am right now financially because they don't have a mortgage. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There you go. $100 a month over a year can build you a house that, Hmm. you know, can house so many people. They send me pictures every month of all of the process. And there was one he was so excited he was moving in. And there was a whole bunch of people in this picture and people were carrying stuff. 
And so the local that we work with there, Anna, I said, oh, were they having a housewarming party? And she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, when you're moving to a new house, your friends bring you stuff. She goes, no, Lisa, that was everybody moving in. <laughs> I'm like, okay, there looked like there was about 20 people, you know, and it was probably, you know, as big as this room. So, you know, I think from a philanthropic standpoint, you see, for me, I see a lot of return on investment. Mm-hmm. It's an area where I feel like I can make a difference. Sure. And it's things, too, that I can pull into my practice. If you ever come to my practice, which you're more than welcome to come anytime. I'm coming, Lisa. It's, it's all African themed. So That's it's awesome. all yeah. murals, it's Africa, it's things we brought back because we're trying to create an experience and that way we can bring a little bit of this village to our patients mm-hmm. and a lot of them get involved. When patients are debonded, if they want to whiten their teeth, they can make a donation to the Smiles of Hope and that becomes part of the farm. One so of wonderful. my favorite stories is a little girl came in and she had this little yellow raincoat mm-hmm. and she said, I noticed in some of your pictures you post that it rains a lot there. Would a kid need a raincoat? I'm like, yeah, because they don't have them. Mm. So it was really sweet. She brought me her little raincoat that she had grown out of. And then we sent it over and then got a picture of this little girl wearing this raincoat. And it just was so amazing to this little girl. Like, oh, my gosh, there's my coat. And there's a little girl who has no coat wearing it. So, you know, I think part of our responsibility as orthodontists, one is to help others, but then also patients that come to see us to create an experience, not only about their orthodontic experience, but is there something I can do for you as a young person that may change who you are, who you become, or how you see the world? And so we've really incorporated and encompassed all that. You know, and for my staff, too, a lot of my staff have gone to Africa with me. And that's amazing. You have people who maybe have never been out of the United States. Next thing you know, I'm like, remember, you may need to bring your own toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) You know, bring your own water, bring your own toilet. Yeah, Yeah. you know. So it's been something that my life I don't think would be the same if I didn't get involved. Yeah. Well, one of the things you mentioned, which I I just thought this was so profound, that the reason you give back is really more for you mm-hmm. to keep your life in perspective. And, oh, yeah. and you had a story about a particular picture, and I'll let you tell the story. And that is so true. And sometimes we'll bring dentists over, and we do some dental projects. And some of these guys that came over on one of our last trips were late 60s, early 70s. And they're like, I wish I would have seen this before. Because it's one thing to see on TV. It's one thing to get there to know the people, see how happy they are even though maybe they're walking an hour for water. Mm -hmm. And when you get there, it looks like Willy Wonka's Chocolate River. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I would have appreciated so many more things in my life. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's really done for me. I don't turn on a faucet now and not be appreciative that there's clean water that comes out of it. And I always encourage people, get your kids over to a place like that. (laughs) You know, my kids have been there and it just puts things in perspective. And, you know, the picture that that I had shown was that there was a man that was breaking rocks and mm-hmm. big boulders with a little hammer. And he wanted to meet me because he was so thankful for his job and what his job meant to him. And, you know, when I'm having a bad day, you just look at that picture and I'm, and we jokingly say, well, at least we didn't make rocks today. There was nobody who had to make gravel. Yeah. And it, it really puts it in perspective and helps you appreciate, you know, and I use it to help motivate my staff. And the funny thing about that, that same group, there was a bunch of rock. They probably have a name in Swahili. I don't know what it is, but they break rocks. We have orthodontists that get involved. And one of my friends, Dr. Pam Regenbaugh, who's in Virginia, mm-hmm. funds a lot of different projects at our project. And so she wanted to do a tilapia pond. I'm like, perfect. 
So we start digging it out. They send me pictures, and there's a boulder in the middle of the tilapia pond that I swear is big as a Volkswagen. (laughs) There's these guys breaking it up. And I said, Anna, tell them they don't have to break up the rocks. We can leave that there, and we can move over and dig a little bit. And the message back was, no, they would really like to break these rocks up because basically it's job security. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if it takes okay. them three months to break up this big rock, they're going for it. I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> you know, you know best. You're the local. You know, I feel so fortunate for what I have. And mm-hmm. I never, you know, when I got done with even ortho, I thought, well, maybe I'll work for somebody. Maybe I'll do this. I never imagined that I would end up with the practice I have. It still amazes me when I stand on a stage and people listen to what I have to say. It cracks my friends up. They're like, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I've seen some places in the world that I just, I never, ever would go. Before I, um, for the pandemic, I got invited to the Middle Eastern Society of Orthodontists to be a speaker. I think I saw it on your Facebook. Yeah. That was super amazing. You know, and we're talking to people. There was one conversation I was involved in, and there were people discussing the availability of orthodontic brackets pre Muar Gaddafi and after the fall of Gaddafi. I mean, as an American Orthodox, how do you even compete in that conversation? You know, I'm like, whoa. So I think the two tied in. I became really more heavily involved with my philanthropy as Mm -hmm. I became more involved with with teaching and lecturing. So, you know, I encourage people and you don't have to go big and grand. And, you know, there's some advantages to creating your own NGO. Part of it's my controlling part. You know exactly where every dollar goes. Mm. And the administrative fee is like zero because it's my office manager who's doing it. And we Mm -hmm. have, you know, everyone that's on that board of that NGO you know, works with us or is related or somehow, but even locally get involved. Yeah. Now an NGO is a nonprofit. In the U.S., we are a, just a charity, a charitable, okay. you know, 501c3. Mm-hmm. Then to operate in different countries, we had to get recognized by the country of Tanzania as a non-governmental organization. Oh, okay, so really gotcha. it's the same thing, but one is U.S. recognized. So like if someone makes a donation to our organization, it goes through the U.S. branch but to be able to transfer amounts of cash into another country to prove you're not like drug money or something like that, you know, or trying to sway, yeah. trying to sway an election one mm-hmm. way or the other, um, you do it through an NGO, which oh, is a, is recognized by their government as a charity. Now, can other orthodontists contribute to your organization? We, we have quite a few, and okay. I, I, w- I was sharing with Doctor Larson some fun pictures we had. We did a water project. And we were correcting rainwater and some water purification. And it's in those big black tanks that you see, like 500-gallon mm. tanks or bigger. Or is it 5,000? I mean, they're huge. I bet you it's 5,000. And a lot of orthodontists sponsored them. And I said, give me your card and your logo, and we're going to paint them on the side. So you go, you're out in the Aww. middle of nowhere, and then there's, you know, uh, Don Spillers, there's Spillers Orthodontics, there's, you know, Aloha from Pam, there's some of my general dental friends. And the funniest thing is one of my general dental friends, they did his whole card. No, I didn't do his logo. They put his phone number. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, Dave, did you get any referrals? What's that return on investment in the water tank? So, yeah, we got a lot of people that get involved and some of them have gone on trips and fun, you know, sometimes they'll fund projects or, you know, what something is really nice. If you have a charity you really want to get involved with Mm -hmm. some of the general dentists that come, you do you treat them pro bono or not? You know, what do you do? I know. that's And some of them even say, well, what can I do for you? And I said, here's what you can do here. If you want to make a donation to our foundation, you can do that. And they get excited because then they use that, too, in their office. We did. 
you know, some projects or even sometimes when we give things to one year for a referral gift, we gave people the gift of water. So we put a well in the village nearby. It had all the doctor's names who we would have bought a Christmas gift for. Yeah. And they got little mini little bottles of water with the pictures of the villagers around it. And they all displayed it in their office. Aww. And so it was a feel good for them. It their is, patients yeah. got to see. And, you know, it was something like, oh, yeah, I could give you chocolates or a fancy wine or whatever. But right. You yeah. know. I'll get in line behind everybody else, but this was something that was super cool. Yeah, very impactful. Now, yeah. I think your um, NGO is called Smiles of Hope. Is mm-hmm. that correct? Yep, it is. Not to be confused with Hope Smiles, which is another great organization. Yep. yep, we're Smiles of Hope, and it's affiliated with, you know, with El Vitro Orthodontics. So we have our own Facebook page, but a lot of times you'll see us posting things on our page so that people know what their money's going to if patients are getting involved in projects. So, you know, it's something that you don't have to go that elaborate. It just kind of grew and it's kind of addicting. Again, it's like one of my hobbies. It's, you know, okay, I could take this money, I could do this, or how about if we take it and buy some more farmland, you know? And yeah. But it's great that you know where the money's going because I oh, think yeah. you mentioned in your talk, like a lot of times we'll just sort of write a check and send mm-hmm. it off and you have that sort of immediate feel good moment, uh-huh. but you don't really see the follow through of how your yeah. your money actually impacted people. Well, you know, the thing is too, for us, it's so direct and it's so fast. Like those little boys I showed, okay, that was their life Tuesday morning and here's their life Friday morning. It's completely turned around, you know, and it can happen so quickly. So it's been a good ride. To learn more about Lisa's charity, Smiles of Hope, check out her website at alvitro.com or the Smiles of Hope Facebook page. Also, to find out about contributing to Hope Smiles, the other great organization I mentioned, go to hopesmiles.org. If you'd like to hear more of my conversation with Lisa, check out our episode 12 outtakes on the Forces Appliance in 3D Printing. As always, this podcast would not be possible without my two talented contributors, Skylar Adler on the mixing console and Tom O'Grady on the Fender Rhodes piano. Thanks so much for listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. If you like the show, please take a second to click subscribe. Also, I'd really appreciate if you could share this show with your friends. Until next time, this is Chris Setta, signing off.